Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by John Sonderman to talk about nurse sows and fostering strategies. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, it could get a little warmer, but uh, it is winter in, in the plains, so I guess that's what to be expected. Yeah, it's been crazy to see how different the weather's actually been across the Midwest. I think we've had like 13 to 15 inches in Iowa City, but I was talking to a, a producer over in Nebraska, and they've already had 50 inches, which is super abnormal, so... I think it just uh it's it's been pretty irregular. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So before we get into the actual topic today around nurse sow utilization and some strategies and some really cool things you presented on in Banff, can you talk about yourself, your background and how you even got into pig production? Yeah, well, I took uh I took the long way around. Um I grew up in town and uh I just love spending time on the farm um of my uncles in Iowa and Nebraska, and um, so decided that I wanted to, to work in animal agriculture and went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, started out getting a bachelor's in animal science, um, milked cows to put my way through school, basically, and, uh, and just really just fell in love with working with animals, and uh, so i was asked to stay on to do a master's in dairy new reproductive physiology and nutrition. And so did that. And then went into the extension service for a few years in Nebraska and then wanted to go back to work to school to get a PhD. And so I went to uh, Colorado state and did a PhD in reproductive physiology and nutrition of beef cattle so you can see why I ended up in the pig industry, obviously. <laughs> um, but we did uh, Faro sows for rent, uh, my wife and I, when we were newly married, and I was working um, in extension. And um, ended up going to work into the feed industry and spent about, uh, oh, 10 years, 12 years in the feed industry and then in the feed ingredient industry, working with producers and uh Ended up my reproductive physiology background really, really was was useful when you start talking about sow production and gilt development. So that's kind of how I ended on the pig side and then ended up um, going to work for DNA Genetics in uh, 2005. And a lot's changed since 2005 with DNA. Do you mind just hitting on that? I mean, you, uh, you've kind of been there through, through all the ups and downs, and it's probably been a wild ride. Yeah, it has. Um, 
you know, uh, when I started, I was doing the nutrition for both Pill and Family Farms um, and then doing all the nutrition and technical support for DNA genetics. And we were we were pretty small then, only had about a maybe a half a percent market share on terminal, whereas today we're at about 40 percent um, terminal market share in the U.S. and Canada. And we had maybe 3% on maternal, and we're at 20% market share today. And then also doing some business in Spain and Brazil through distribution systems. So it's, it's really changed. Um, we're up to 7,000 purebred females now across nine farms in Nebraska, South Dakota, and Manitoba, and which also entails quite a bit of testing, number of testing centers, about 75,000 offspring per year tested. We ended up uh, starting out with one gene center, and now we have 12 gene center, or some people would call them a boar stud. And then uh, because of the, the ownership, joint, or Hill and Family Farms also owns DNA Genetics, um, they've got 70,000 commercial sows, and we're able to do some really neat things with putting pedigreed animals into a commercial system and, and looking at how, how our nucleus genetics perform in a commercial system. So it's, it's really, you know, we, we kind of look at it as a uh, 70,000 sow research farm <laughs> from the genetic side, um, but it really gives us a good perspective on what producers struggle with um, and how we need to improve our products. And then throw in a gubernatorial campaign and the next governor of Nebraska and all of that, right? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I've never been associated with anything uh, this close to a campaign like that. Um, it was uh, very, very interesting. I uh, commend uh, Dr. Jim Pillen for, for uh, his willingness um, to serve. And that's really what he believes uh, it is is serving the people of Nebraska and serving rural communities. He's a tremendous believer that, um, that we need to keep our best and brightest in the ag industry so that, that we can create better communities and create more opportunity to keep even more better young people in our communities. So it's, it's really um, neat to see uh, him get win the governor, um, position. It'll be interesting to see um, what he can accomplish um, in his time there. So before we get into the topic, right uh, right now, I'd like to do a couple rapid fire questions. This is fairly new, but try to answer them as quick as you can. And uh, you can say pass if you want. Um, what's the D1 college you root for? <laughs> University of Nebraska Cornhuskers. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, boy. Like it's difficult. Uh, probably Ring of Fire or Galway Girl by Steve Earle. Is there an actor that you just won't watch? No matter how much people rave about the movie, you're not going to go see it. <laughs> Boy, now you're going to try to get me to say something politically incorrect. <laughs> um, no, uh, not at all. Yeah, no. Um, you know, the honest truth is um, I don't watch a ton of movies. Um, I just can't sit still that long. Um, so uh, who I wouldn't watch, boy. Or who is your favorite actor? 
You know, probably uh, through time, if I really want to be honest, it'd have to be either John Wayne or uh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> there you go. And uh, what is your go-to light beer? Go-to light beer. Oh, probably have to be Bush Light. There you go. So to jump into the topic, why is nurse cell utilization becoming an important management consideration? It, it, it always seemed like something you did, but now more than ever, it feels like this is becoming something that needs, needs a lot more talking space. Yeah, I think that um, the reality is the genetic companies have been asked by the industry um, to produce a more productive sow, a sow that will wean more piglets. And we've done a pretty good job of increasing total born and born alive as a, as a industry. Um, but what happens is, in my experience, once you get above a 13 born alive, then you start to have to do more management um, in, the, in, the, in the south farm. And um, some people think it, you know, well, if you just have enough teats, it doesn't matter. And, and that's not necessarily true um, because we just don't know enough about how much milk a sow produces. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it because of the number of teats? You know, are the rear teats not very good? If the teats are too close together, can two pigs even get on them? All those things are research topics that we just really don't know enough about. And so we're dealing with these larger litters, uh, many times, you know, 15, 16 born alive. And, and the sow's got to be willing to allow all of those piglets to nurse and functionally um, be able to produce enough milk to, to uh, sustain their life and, and grow and wean them. What are you seeing in the industry when it comes to different strategies? There's, I mean, you hear McRebel and, and half a dozen other things. What are the strategies that you're seeing? Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting um, as we look at things. You know, I think all the genetic companies are, are selecting for more functional T count. Um, but we're still, quite honestly, um, we're, we're, we're struggling a little bit. You know, and there's, there's always this, well, how many, you know, is it you load sows to teat count plus one, teat count minus one, teat count. Um, and, and the challenge we have is, is that if you have a farm, let's say at 32 pigs, on any given day, you're going to have set 6% of the litters that have a higher born alive than 17. And you're going to have, uh, you know, in that 16 and a half to 17, 8.4%. So that's, you know, 16, 15, 16% of the litters. And um, the variation in, in, in born alive, if you, if you look in a, on a, any given farm, especially these really high producing 32 plus farms, I mean, depending how you load sows up, you could end up with uh, seven nurse sows um, every week. Or oh, yeah. If not easily, more. Yeah, if not more. And so if you load, you know, you load them up at 13 to 14, you know, if you've got a 32 plus uh, uh, 
PSY with 17 born alive, you're going to end up with uh, seven nurse salves that week. If you load them at 13 to 15, you only need four nurse salves. If you load them 13 to 16, you only need two. And why is that important is because if we're using a crate for a nurse sow, we're not using it for a sow that's producing pigs. And so all of a sudden, we've got to really think about how are we going to wean all these pigs? And, and, and what are the things that we can do for, for uh, helping improve the quality of the wean? Yeah, and when you think about that too, one thing, it, and I don't know if you touched on it and, and BAMP or not, because it's, it's kind of more of a tangent to the conversation, but um, outside of all the things you're, you're going to go over here on the call in regards to some of the takeaways and, and why you guys decided to look into nurse cell strategies, if when, when, whenever we create a nurse cell, there's an element of pigmanship involved, and it's possible to pick the wrong one. And that has profound impacts on the litters if you pick the wrong sow. And sometimes it's hard to know. And so the less nurse sows you have to create, the less risk you're introducing to the system or to those pigs, right? Right. You know, and, you know, Matthew, you've been, you were at Banff, I know, and you're just at Iowa Pork. Did anybody say there say they have too much labor? <laughs> nobody. <laughs> yeah, nobody has too much Actually, labor. I've had a couple people in the last year say that, but they said, please don't say anything to anybody because we feel really bad for everybody else. And we just (laughs) finally got full staff. So there's actually this idea that when you are full staffed, you're not supposed to talk about it because it's wrong (laughs) and and rude. Yeah. I think that's because most of them, they're only full staffed for a month. Exactly. (laughs) And then they have turnover. Yeah, I know. You know, and so we we're sometimes we're dealing with people that, that don't have a lot of pig background or maybe it's not the kind of training we want. And in trying to help them decide on every given daily basis to create which pigs a fallback, um, how many nurse sows to create, all those things. It's difficult. Um, yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a husbandry skill. And you mentioned artistry before, um, and there yeah. is an art to it. You know, there's people that are really good at identifying those piglets that are falling behind, and there's people that are not real good at it. I mean, when you think about people coming in the industry more than ever before with less skill and we have more pigs than ever before, and you can argue it's more complicated than ever before, like you're trying to just strip teats, strip, strip teats, check if sows are off feed, pick up dead pigs, right? You're hitting the basics. And to get that person from day one to the point where they can confidently bring in nurse sows and bump that through production the right way and pick the right animals and get the right pigs and create fault, like... You are you're you're six to nine months into that person's role. I mean, I, I mean that that doesn't just come to somebody very quickly. Yeah, you're right. And I think the other thing I think we have is sometimes we take a guy that's really good in the breeding room or really good in the farrowing room, and we turn him into a manager. Oh yeah, and and those people may not be the best trainers. <laughs> they may not be the best coaches because they were used to doing the work. But some of them struggle with how to teach other people how to do the same work. Yeah, that was actually a good thing uh, to bring up. I have a team of engineers, and they talk about the exact same thing. Uh, Career progression in industries can be difficult because you're a really good engineer, or you're a really good breeder, you're a really good farrowing lead, and we want to pay you more, but the natural progression to paying you more is management. 
And we want to retain that person and we want to reward them for their efforts. So we promote them to a manager, even if they are in no way the right person to manage. So now we're putting someone in a position to fail as a manager. We're taking away our best breeder or best farming lead, replacing them with somebody who might not be as good. And just like we don't always have to pay the manager the most money sometimes. I don't, I don't know. There's just an opportunity there, I think, to be explored. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think we have to realize that you don't, somebody just doesn't become a manager, that yeah. they need some training, they need some help um, so that they can succeed. And, um, you know, I really think that everybody wants to succeed. Um, I don't think there's anybody out there that says, I want to go to work today and do a crappy job. Um, <laughs> but I think they do want to know what they're supposed to do and the best way to do it. And, um, and I think we just have to remember that, that it's, that's what we're trying to do is, you know, do the best we can for that, that animal, do the best we can for our teammates, you know, take care of them, provide them food, water, and air, be safe, handle everybody safely, um, not lose our tempers, um, and make sure we treat, treat the animals and treat our teammates the way that we want to be treated um, every day. So I think, um, I think, in that most people really, if you really teach them what they're supposed to do and help them and commend them for doing a good job, I think they'll do that. Absolutely. And and to kind of tie it back, I mean, a lot of things you just stated are probably why you guys decided to look into nursing sales strategies. But what were the core reasons that you wanted to look into nurse strategies? And how did you go about trying to answer that nurse sale question? Yeah, I think, you know, the 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 normal ways that most people look at creating nurse sows, I say, okay, I'm going to wean a sow and then I'm going to take some day one pigs and take that wean sow. And maybe sometimes she's going to be a coal sow anyway. We're not going to breed her back. And then that's what I'm going to do. It's called a one-step nurse sow. And then there's others that get a little bit more intense and they're going to take a seven-day-old pig and put it on a wean sow and then put day one old or newborn pigs or day one pigs on that uh that seven day sow and they call that a two-step nurse sow but you know we just talked a little bit of how hard it is for some people just to pick the newborns wants now you got to do a double move and you know you like you said we've got so many things to do and we want to do the highest priority things so sometimes that nurse sow program gets messy and i think a lot of times you know there's not a lot of intention. We don't tell them this is that you want a young parity sow, that you don't want an old sow, that you want a smaller teat size. You want a nurse sow that accepts pigs. Because there's a lot of research that says if you move more than two pigs onto a litter, that that, that sow may not accept those pigs and may not expose her udder for two to four hours. And so you've got Which, to, depending on the age of the litter, could be life and death. Yeah, it could be because... Lactation, you know, they, they let milk down at 25 to 40, every 25 to 42 minutes. So you talk about somebody not exposing their udder for two hours, you've probably missed three to four feedings. And at a young, young pig or a pig that's just a little behind, you're, you're right, that's life and death. Um, you know, I think you want a sow that can eat because she can't milk if she can't eat. So now we're telling the guy, you got to find the pigs. You got to find the nurse sow and, and and all this stuff. And you're going to move all this stuff and and, and create a a pretty, uh, really a pretty 
pretty intense and um, and challenging uh, situation for that person, like you said, that may have only been there six months. Oh, yeah. And then throw in, they might have gone to another conference where you're getting all this research that is saying there's benefits to feeding sows multiple times a day. It's like it just there's yeah. an endless list of things that you can do to support an animal. It's just helping people focus and know which way is the best way. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our, you know, our goal is as a genetic company on maternal side is, is we call it 14, 14, 21. We want a 14 pound pig um, at 21 days and we want there to be 14 of them. So 14, 14, 21. And so, you know, we're trying to create a, a sow that will also do a lot of it by herself because of all the problems we just talked about creating nurse sows. And, and we were able to take some uh, situation that uh, one of those turning uh, lemons into lemonade situations where <laughs> we're on the commercial side um, that we had a farm that was 5,500 sows that had great health status, hers naive, myco negative, um, APP negative. And we allowed them to move a lot of pigs because, you know, hey, it's a healthy farm. And then we had a farm that was about 10,000 sows that was PERS stable, but PERS was still active. And so they were in a strict McRebel. And for people that don't understand McRebel, you just don't move any pigs between litters. Um, if she's got too many pigs, um, it's, it's going to be survival of the fittest. You're going to probably euthanize a few pigs. If she only has one or two pigs, you know, you can't afford to have her in. A, she'll quit milking because she doesn't have enough suckling pressure. So you have to consider euthanizing those pigs too. So, you know, they weren't moving anything. So when we looked at it, the performance was, was fairly similar. Um, they were both, uh, one was a parity three, one was a little bit older parity because they were in purrs. But the born alive, total borns were 16, 8, and 17. And the born alive were 15, 6, and 15, 5. So still highly productive herds. Fairing rates were 87 and 89%. Um, but the one farm was using four, almost 15% nurse sows. And the other farm, because we we're in a strict McRebel, was using zero. And so, you know, when we looked at the weaning performance of the two farms, we'd say, well, the healthy farm weaned more pigs. And they did. They weaned uh, 13.8 per female farrowed versus 12 in the PERS farm. The wean age was a little bit older in the in the healthy farm, 25 versus 21. Pre-weaning mortality was lower, 13 versus 23. But, you know, part of that's the PERS, too. And having to, because of McRebel, having to euthanize some pigs, that's all included in there. And then, you know, the wean per mated female per year was 32 in the healthy farm and, and over 28 in the, in the PERS farm. But when we started to look at what was going on, in the PERS farm, 79% of the litters had a born alive greater than 14. In the healthy farm, 81%, so real similar. But we looked at the percent of sows that weaned over 14, and it was 35% in the PERS positive farm, and it was 15% in the healthy farm, which means we underutilized um, sows. There was a 20% difference in the number of sows that we uh, over 14 with the advantage being to the purse positive farm. And that just, 
that just stunned us. And, um, and we looked at the frequency of pigs per sow weaned, and you, you could see that the farm that was moving pigs, boy, they, they made litters very, very uniform, very, very tight. But where we couldn't move pigs, you know, there was more pigs, there were more sows that weaned more pigs. It wasn't tight as window. And we always call that when they wean her own, she only weans her own pigs, we call it her own pigs or hops. And then as we looked at uh, total weaned by born alive, what we started to see was that, you know, if you gave them 13 to 16 um, on that sow and just left them, that was really kind of your your best. Uh, and, and not trying to just move them for movements, movement's sake to say, oh, we need them to all have 14. If this sow can handle 16, let's let them have 16. So, you know, the thing that was the kicker that really got us looking farther is we followed them into the nursery closeouts. And this is where it gets pretty interesting. The PERS positive farm, the piglets that came out of there at 21 days of age, weighed more by a half a pound. Oh, wow. And when we looked at the nursery mortality, the nursery mortality in the McRebel pigs, so those were the PERS positive pigs, was 1.1% lower. And so we were like, well, the nurse cells, we got higher wean numbers, got better uniform litter size, but we negatively, negatively impact the nursery um, performance. And we said, okay, this was kind of a one-off. We went back and this is something that happened and we retrospectively looked at the data. And so we said, can we capture the nursery performance of McRebel and just move pigs on day one. So if we, all we did was, was on day one, do all the cross fostering that we we're gonna do and then never touch another litter. And if we did that in a side-by-side where everybody had the same health status, would we get the same result? So that, that was our first, for lack of a better term, aha moment. Mm-hmm. And then we said, okay, now we gotta do a strategy trial where we really put this side by side. And um, so the objective was to, again, go into a sow farm and either create 0% nurse sows or 7%. These were 14 um, crate rooms. So we were either creating um, one nurse, one, one open crate per room, which 7%, or we never did anything. And so we had 600 fairwings, uh, 300 on each treatment. All pigs were individually tagged and weighed at birth and at weaning. Um, For both treatments, uh, we cross-fostered on day one, and we limited uh, the sows with born alive between 13 and 15, and we maximized functional teats. So if she had 15 teats, um, she had at least 15, maybe 60. And um, in in both groups, we identified the fall behind pigs. And, and we weighed them. And if they were in the nurse sow group at three to five days of age, we went back and moved those fall behinds. And we also weighed all the litter mates. So we laid, weighed the pigs that were too small. We made the, weighed the litter mates of those pigs. And then if pigs were big enough, some litters that were never touched, we weighed those pigs too. Then on the nurse sow treatment, again, no open farrowing crates. 
We did identify the Paul behind pigs. We weighed them all, but they remained on their original dam. And again, we, we, we weighed all the litter mates. So as, you, as we get into it, you, what you'll see is cross foster. So what we, pigs we moved on day one, it was the same between both farms or both treatments, 5.5%, 5.8%. Okay. And the fall behinds was, was very similar, 5.75 versus 6.22. So we, the, the, the two young ladies that we had that were interns, that were working there seven days a week, making sure this all happened, they did a good job of identifying which sows cross foster. They did a great job of identifying fall behinds. The T count average was 14 and a half on both treatments. The number born alive was 14.6 and 14.8. I mean, so very, very similar. And the number weaned per sow was 12.89 for the no nurse or, or for the no nurse. And 12.15 for the nurse sow. So, again, they did a good job of evening out litters in that nurse sow field. And when we looked at birth weights, they were very similar. Uh, we looked at wean weights. There was a slight advantage to the nurse sows of about, you know, a tenth of a kilogram. When we looked at the nursery weight, um, there was still a slight advantage to the, to the nurse sows. And when we looked at the finish weight, there was still a slight advantage to using nurse sows. And so those were all good things. Um, but, you know, as we started looking at, and we looked again, we looked at all the, the, um, the fall behinds and same number fall behinds, same number of litter mates to fall behind, same number of big pigs, birth weights were similar. I mean, all those things were, were checking out and working the way we, we, uh, we thought, you know, the pigs that were moved to nurse sound gained more weight and their litter mates gained more weight. Um, you think about it, if you don't move and we leave the fall behinds on, it not only hurts the fall behinds, but it hurts their litter mates because there's all competition for the same milk. So all those things, you know, we, we did see. And, and but some of the interesting that hap- things that happened on that is when we got to the end and started looking at, at what happened in the finisher, um, again, we started to see the same things. We saw that... Um, those uh, those pigs that were, were came from nurse house were actually um, at a higher uh, death loss. So if we look at pre-wean mortality, the nurse house were twelve point three. The no nurse house were twelve point eight. So you say, hey, nurse house, we saved a little bit on pre-wean. We look at the nursery mortality. The nurse house pigs off of the nurse house at about 03 percent higher nursery mortality but then here's where it gets really really interesting the, the big finish, aha yep the finish mortality boy the nurse house had a 3.9 percent mortality in their offspring the no nurse house had 2.45 so a lot of money on feed and on space for pigs that aren't making it to market yes yes and and as you know, right now, feed's not cheap. <laughs> the other things, a couple other things that were interesting was that by the time we got to market, the percentage of pigs less than 88 kilograms at 22 weeks of age, and anything under 88 kilos at 22 weeks of age, we called it a, uh, a low-value pig. It wasn't making it to your primary packer. The incidence of fall behinds, or percentage of fall behinds, 
the fall behinds that made it to finish uh, in the nurse house, the higher percentage of those um, fall behinds I'd lived. So guess what? There's a higher percentage of fall behinds um, at marketing that are really considered a low value pig. And the, and the fall behinds on the no nurse sows actually equaled the percentage wise was 4.4% in the no, in the no nurse sows. And where we use nurse sows is what it was 4.9%. So it was just, it was like, dang, this is, um, in some ways we're saying this, what's going on here? The pigs aren't following the plan. Yeah, so basically, um, you can spend less time on labor creating nurse sows and achieve a lower mortality. We're doing less and, and, and making more. Yeah. And so, you know, as we looked and we said, okay, what, what are the takeaways from this trial? We said, okay, all behind pigs that were moved to nurse sows had lower pre wean, heavier wean weights, and a nursing weights than those that left on the original dam. So we're thinking, yeah, it's working. Uh, the litter mates of the fall behinds and the nose nurse sows, like we talked about, because there was more competition, they did have lighter wean weights. Um, but after weaning, pigs from the no nurse treatment had lower mortality. The no nurse sows weaned more lighter pigs, but still resulted in more total pounds of pig weight produced per room. So now you're like, okay, huh? Which one do we do? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and so I think it, it kind of, it, it depends on your farm a little bit, obviously. Um, if you're an SEW producer, you know, um, you know, let's look at an option for a nurse sow. So if, if we're going to use a nurse sow, why we, you know, why wouldn't we use one? Well, if we don't use one, um, we fare more sows. And, and we need to have greater gestation space to come. More open spaces. Yep. We, we have more space. So we got to have a little bit more inventory to accomplish that um you know or can you or do you use nurse sows well you know a seven percent nurse sows is also equivalent to using one adding one and a half days of wean age and so we we did all the economics and, and obviously we're not going to get into that here but um really what we came up to if you're an sew producer for those listening who might not know what SEW is, can you define that? Yeah, SEW is a segregated early wean producer. So all they do is they produce piglets and they sell them to somebody else to finish them. Perfect. And um, if that's your if that's your goal, um, if you can farrow more sows not using nurse sows, you produce more pigs. So you farrow more pigs. If you cannot farrow more sows, using a nurse sow produces more pigs that than adding wean age. So if you're an SEW guy, um, you know, you may be an advantage just to farrow more sows. Um, wean age doesn't help you much because most of the slides on those, those contracts aren't big enough. Yeah. If they would give you, you know, a, over a buck a pound for that extra weight, um, then it might play out. But at, at the end of the day, uh, that that producer gets more pigs he gets out the door and accepted. That's he gets paid more. So you're saying increase sow inventory a bit, back off nurse sows, maximize the space you have because you're not creating all the nurse sows, get more pigs out the door, even though they're a little lighter. 
get more out the door because overall you're going to have more pounds and it's you bet if you fare more sows you wean more pigs yep and and it's the biggest driver for of profitability for an sew but if you're Uh, a pharaoh to finish you might say yeah heavier pig so in the pharaoh to finish um no matter how the economics we did it if you add additional farrowing instead of creating nurse sows even if you if you're a fixed time system, so fixed time means that this many weeks of age, that that uh, finished barn has to be empty because you got another group of pigs yep. coming in. Yep. And then there's a fixed weight system where you've got enough space that you can take them to heavier weights. Either way, the advantage was a a dollar sixty um, to the sow farm, or or four dollars if you're a fixed weight system, and so um, you made more money. Because you you had a dollar twenty eight more um, per pig in the sow farm. If you add wean age, um, you also make more money. And uh, we did some work within the pillins to add wean age to move up to twenty two, twenty three days of age. And the payback when we did all the economics, we're like, man, we think we can pay this back in three three years by adding more farrowing crates. And the reality is, so we can pr- increase wean age. The reality is. We actually paid it back in about a year and a half. Really? Yeah, because we got better production. But but the reality is, is, is you've alluded to, is growth rate, nurse sows have an advantage. Mortality rate, not having nurse sows have the advantage. And the reality is, especially when feed costs are high, it's a lot better to have a pig die young that is not going to make it than to die as a finisher pig. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we, we again, then we came back and said, okay, um, one is look at what you're doing on your farm. I mean, are you loading your sows to functional T count plus one? Um, we did that in, in, we do that in our nucleus farms. Um, all the, the litters get laid, loaded to plus one. And part of that's because we're selecting on the ability of the sow to um, wean, wean pounds of pigs. And we got to know the only way we can know how she's producing milk and how she's eating and all those, she's a good mother is how many pounds of pigs does she? And so we're loading up to T count plus one. And we did some internal work and we found out that, you know, we, we looked at 4,000 farrowings and whether we loaded a minus two, minus one to uh, T count plus one or plus two, the data was pretty similar for all those sows. Um, those sows are a lot more, you know, in, at least in the, in, in, the, in the data that we analyzed. Um, and so maybe it's different in another genetic line or another system. Our DNA sows can handle plus one easy, and a lot of them can handle plus two. Um, going to plus three, we start to see some, a, a decrease. And again, they can go to minus one or minus two. and minus three, you see an increase in pre-wee. You know, and if yeah, it was, it was up, interesting because the uh, the presentation you had, if if you actually gave the pigs too many teat options, if you went too low on total, like you saw an increase in pre-wean, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, and and I would have not pro- expected that. I would have expected if you take a sow fourteen teat and you give her eight piglets, she's going to do great. Yeah, the problem is they they don't keep her milking hard enough. Correct. They just don't stimulate enough milk production, and so she actually goes down on milk production, and so I think. You know, when, if we create too many nurse sows, then we're kicking ourselves that way too. And 
you know, there's all sorts of different, how many teats do you need and, and all this, but, but what our data, we, when we analyzed those 4,000 barrelings, we saw that if, if, um, that 14th teat was worth almost two thirds of a pig weaned. Mm. But the 15th teat, this is on guilt, was, was only worth about, you know, maybe three tenths of a pig weaned. And the 16th teat was only worth a tenth of a pig weaned. And then the numbers were, were, the trend was the same, but a little bit lower for sows. And I think we all assume, well, if she's, um, you know, if we need, you know, we want sows with 20 teats. But if, but if all those teats aren't functional, what's that telling us is each extra teat doesn't bring us as much value as we think. It's a diminishing return. It's probably the law of diminishing returns on additional teats. Right. And, and where that number is, I don't think anybody knows. But I think part of the re- reason is we don't know the fundamental thing we don't know. Is it grams of mammary tissue? across the entire sow. So if you've got 20 teats, but the same amount of mammary tissue, does she produce the same amount of milk? And we don't know that. And is it, you know, are we just challenging with genetics because every, I mean, it's going to keep evolving. It's going to keep changing. And what exists today might not exist two, three, four, five years from now. Right. And I mean, there's two things that are pretty fundamental in, in how we look at it. At sow production. One is you can't wean a pig that wasn't born. Okay. Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, no matter what, even in our scenarios here, you know, that SCW guy, if he can fare more sows and wean more pigs, he, he, he does better off. So you can't wean a sow that isn't, or a pig that isn't born. And then, but we also know that we want to wean as many of those pigs that are born as we possibly can. And we want to do it with the least amount of nurse sows and movements and labor work and extra labor. So the real question we always, when we, when I go on farms and I spend a lot of my time in our customers' farms and it's like, if you can get that sow or that guilt started outright, get her eating and get those pigs colostrum in them with split suckle and get them dried up and get them placed in a good spot. If you spend that time in those first three days, boy, it's a lot easier the rest of the time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we... Everyone's job is easier if your early pig care guys do a good job. Yep, and it's the same with nursery finish. It's the same everywhere. If you do your job up front and get them off to a good start, everything works out well. And, um, you know, so I think you've got to look at... At what you have for your farm, you know, can you add farming, farming rooms? Can you add weanage? Can you add inventory? Are you kind of capped because of, of permits and all that? You know, are you a wean to finish produce, you know, somebody that's going to take them all the way to slaughter? Or are you somebody just going to sell them as an SEW? Um, you know, it's, it, it, you still got to decide what's best for you and, and what works in your system. But I think we really have to rethink a couple of things. One is how to load sows. Because, um, you know, now we're going to, in the pillow system, if she's 13 to 16, we're not um, taking any pigs off those. I mean, any, putting any more on. You know, you're just leaving those as her 
her own pigs. You know, if that 16 had 19, yeah, you can take three off, but you're going to leave her six, 16 other pigs on her. Um, and you're not just going to say, okay, we're going to make everybody do 14. Um, we're going to have some that, that do 13, and we're going to have some that do 16 or 17. And let her do the work and, and work with Mother Nature. And I know, have you talked a lot with any batch pharaohs, pharaohs Matthew? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure in what context. But what does everybody tell you what happens to their the health and the scours in their fairing room when, when they go to batch? It goes away. It goes for the away. Most part. Yeah, that's really what we're seeing kind of with some of this McRebel stuff. Um, when you quit moving pigs, um, you, you get rid of a lot of those little stressors and the scours and you don't spread things around room. You know, and if you do get a scour, it stays more in the one litter than it does get spread to five litters if you're moving a lot of pigs. And so, you know, some of that stuff that we we see and we kind of know, but we go against it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody I, wants – people in the barn really want to do a good job, and they see that piglet, and they really want to help it. But sometimes the best thing to do is just not touch it. Yes. Yes. We – um we always joke about we created professional pig movers <laughs> yes. and by gosh, they were going to size every pig. And it's really interesting because no matter where you do it in the nursery or the finish or whatever, when you keep moving pigs, it actually hurts performance. And, and they all, the variation still occurs because there's always going to be a dominant pig and a subdominant pig. You're still going to get the natural biological distribution of everything, of dominance, of weight. It's it's all going to correct itself eventually. And I think sometimes, yeah, we apply to we try to control things so much, and in fact, we might just be screwing them up. Yeah, you know, we got oh boy, these are all you know perfect pigs. I loaded this out perfectly, and then you come back at weaning like, how come there's big pigs and small pigs? They're all <laughs> the same size. And uh, so I think you know there's a lot we need to learn about um, milking ability. And selecting for 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 aunt, for sows that want to be good mothers. I mean, um, some of the the tools that we've been using since two thousand four really really um, penalize the sows that have a lot of pigs but can't raise them, um, and and gives better uh, gives more effort or more weighting to the sows that maybe she didn't have as many pigs but she weaned every single one, and so it it. Uh, I think we have to think a little bit more along those lines, um, especially as we continue to move forward and there's more people that want to understand what goes on in farms. And we got to show them that we're trying to do what's best for, for the piglet and for this and the sow. Yeah. I think if only consumers understood that we're having this conversation because we're trying too hard to give the pig what it needs, right? It's like we're putting too much time and effort into sizing litters because we're trying too hard to give the pig the best start possible, but maybe we're just trying too hard. Yeah. And I think, um, to me, the, 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 the classic is, I think sometimes we, you know, like loose housing versus stalls, Yeah, you know, and there's always this debate, especially with some of the, the animal welfare people. And, um, and I think that we try to make it too, too hard to understand. And what I've started to talk to people about is, is, you know, the reason we put them in individual stalls is so we could do individual care and we could prevent bullying. <laughs> yep. You know, nobody wants to be bullied. And um, sows bully, bully each other. Um, 
just like humans do. <laughs> and um, so I think sometimes we forget that to explain why we did what we did. And, um, you know, now people say, well, how come, you know, that if they get into farm and they start to understand why you're doing things, it starts to make more sense to them. I always tell um, young mothers that, that think that loose housing is, is such a great deal. I said, I always tell them, would they like to be in a dorm room with 40 other pregnant women? <laughs> and, and invariably the answer is no. <laughs> and I well, said, yeah, you, see you, it. you see it with free access. You see it with all these systems that, I mean, the open pen has been nice because you're able to use technology to still provide individualized care. But they go to their own little spot, right? They they go to their own. I mean, how many free access stalls do you walk and they're all in the congregating area? No, they're all in their pen. <laughs> and even yeah, though they, they can come and go as whenever they want, they're in their pen. They like their space. Right. And they like to be, I mean, they like to be protected. And, and they, if you see them, a lot of times they, they're in those big pens. They're in the same groups of sows. Always go to eat together, go yep. to drink together, sleep together, because they create their own little protection. I mean, there's definitely some some things that are nice about, you know, letting them walk more and all that, but doesn't come without, um, you know, come without things or other issues. So it's kind of fun. We put them into stalls to make it better. And now they say, take them out of stalls to make it better. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to wrap things up, I'd really like to ask you a question. We ask all of our guests or at least two of them. First being what's something unique about you that most people you meet don't know. Huh. Um, well, I guess you can figure it out with all my background. I do have a cow herd. <laughs> okay. Even though I'm a pig guy and some people say, well, why don't you have pigs? And I said, well, there's biosecurity issues. Like I go on other people's farms. I can't take the risk. Um, <laughs> probably the other thing that most people don't know is that, um, I'm actually, uh, I sing quite a bit, uh, even at weddings and funerals and really church, church functions. Yeah. They, they tell me that, um, my voice is okay, and and they don't have to drink to listen to me. So, <laughs> so I think that's a I think that's a, a compliment. At least I'll take it that way. What's a golden nugget that you might have for listeners? A bit of life wisdom you've you've come upon along the way. You know, um, I think it probably goes back to three of the of our core values for our company, and that is do what's right. Do the best you can and treat others the way you want to be treated. And if you really think of each, if you apply each one of those, um, you're probably never going to make a bad decision. Everything's not always going to work out perfectly, but you're probably not going to make a bad decision. Well, thank you for joining the Popular Pig Podcast and being a guest and talking about all the work that you guys have been doing. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you, Matthew, and uh, glad to have the opportunity. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow.
To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.